Welcome back to the Backyard Professor Live. This is a special Tuesday night live tonight. I had a remarkably interesting experience today, and it was a very disturbing one. And I would like to share that experience and my thoughts and my actions and my reactions to this experience and what I was doing when I had the experience. And then I pondered it tonight, and I found a couple of ideas in one of my very favorite authors, Alan Watts, because I remembered he was talking about something like what I actually experienced in one of his books. So I was browsing through my Alan Watts library, and I did find the idea and the reference that I want to share and so I'm going to share this experience and with the recognition that even this unpleasant physical occurrence that happened to me at work today is actually an aspect of daily spirituality as we meditate, ponder, think about just what in the Sam Hill is going on while we're alive? Why did this happen to me? I hate this. It wasn't fun. And yet, it turned into quite a little nifty lesson that I want to share with you, my audience. So welcome, everybody. Hey, Burl Bikes. Welcome, Wendy Rowland. Yes, Mark Crispin. Yeah, baby. <laughs> you bring it out in me, Mark. Yeah, Lamb Chop. How you doing, my friend? Sam Hill is here? <laughs> yeah, what the Sam Hill is going on? That's kind of what I want to talk about tonight. I want to give a, uh, a mini spiritual lesson based on an experience I had today. Now, I was at work minding my own business. We have a uh, situation where we are refurbishing a building that we have acquired because we need to expand a little bit. We need more office spaces. So we're redecorating it, reconstructing it, right? Well, we had to turn the power off while the people try to get rid of all of the blown-in insulation from the ceiling, and it's literally waist-deep. I mean, it's a horrific mess. I'm very fortunate that I'm not in the building having to deal with that. Well, with the power being turned off, of course, and I did not know this until my uh, lawn keeper, my, the business that I have as a subcontractor under me, contacted me and said, dude, we are so sorry, but we did not realize it. Uh, the lawn over there on, on Tech Drive, it has not been watered for 10 days. It is burning up. And it just, it froze my blood in my veins because that's what I'm responsible for is the facilities and their maintenance and their care. And it is a business commercial area. And so I have to keep it looking professional and good, you know. I went over there two weeks ago and my heart sank. I, I had black, I had black spots, brown spots, a uh, hundred yards long by 10, 15 feet wide. I mean, it was 
a horrific scene like Armageddon on the lawn. So I have been alternating the various zones, the sprinkler zones, to kind of bring it back. And I've been hand watering a lot of the really, really bad spots while I have the sprinklers on in other areas. And I've been doing pretty good. I've saved the lawn. Today, while I was out, and I've, I saved all of the bushes, the landscaping. Now, we bought this building to replace the roses. The rose bushes are incredible. To replace those would cost us $20,000. There's like 75 of them all around this building, and they are absolutely delightful. Hundreds of roses on every bush. It's phenomenal. So I've been saving those. Well, today, while I was out watering, had the back zone on, and I was spraying the lawn, and I was just, I love to do that because I can think, I can wonder, well, how about that cloud up there in the sky? Look at that cloud dancing because there's always movement. And in such a hot day like today, it was 92, something like that, very warm. The clouds just move. It's awesome. You can see where the wind is coming from. And I love the colors and shapes. I used to oil paint. I do watercolor paint also. And that gets your eye to notice clouds better than not. So I was enjoying this incredible summer scene while I was trying to save the burning up star stuff with the liquid star stuff, that miracle of miracles, water. And I was taking a drink every now and then, you know, you know, soaking my head, keeping cool. Watering and all of a sudden, I feel this very hot, sharp pain on my arm. And, of course, it was a bee. Now, I wasn't doing anything to that bee. That bee landed on my arm, and before I could swoosh it off, it stung me good. And then I, I swooshed it off. And it just burned and it hurt and i thought ah and and i was still watering i thought gosh dang it today so i put the hose on my arm to cool it off oh that was nice water cools that bee sting and then i got back to watering the lawn and my arm, that bee sting, it just forced me to pay attention to it because of that sharp, hot pain. And it was spreading on my arm and the welt grew. And I'm man. So I water my arm again. Ooh, that's a little better. I can feel it still, painful somewhat, but much, much better when I put the water on it. And then I had to keep watering the yard. And within just a few seconds, that sharp, hot pain in my forearm 
again. Well, this happened for like 15, 20 minutes. I must have put that hose on that bee sting for 15, 20 minutes, at least 25, 30 times. And I got thinking about that. The fire of that bee sting caused severe pain. Yet the water, the cool water, took that pain away temporarily for a few minutes. And then when I went ahead and put that water on the lawn that the hot sun had burned up because it lacked water, I could feel that bee sting again. And so I, I rubbed it. That didn't help, of course. You don't rub bee stings. <laughs> I was out there on, on the job, so I didn't have access to any kind of an ointment or whatever to put on my bee sting. So I just kept applying the water and then going back to watering. The ancients had this concept of polarities. They also had this concept of the four elementary elements. Now, this is poo-pooed. This is almost mocked in today's sophisticated intellectual world. And yet, as I was playing in and playing with these four elements, I began to think it through. The sun was extremely hot, so I was standing in the shade of one of the trees while I was watering the burned lawn. And it was hot, and my breath had quickened. I was sweating because of that bee sting. I kept feeling its burn, and then I kept cooling it off with the water. The sun can kill, and yet without it, there's no life. Water can kill, but without it, there's no life. Air can kill, or even the absence of it, but without it, but with it, we have life. And earth can kill, and yet without it, we have no life. And these four elements, this is so remarkable. When it, when it really, when I was just kind of sitting there trying to think hard to ignore the pain of that bee sting that Mother Nature so beautifully gave me, and yeah, I know, dude, you're sounding like a nut job. No, 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 I wouldn't trade that experience now because of where it led me in my mind. That wonderful experience of that very painful, hot bee sting got me thinking about how am I going to solve this problem because it really hurt with the cool water. And I had hot and cold opposites. I had liquid solid. I was utilizing earth, air, water, fire, all at once. Every one of those elements 
are necessary to life as they dance among themselves in their vibrations everything vibrates there's no such thing as rest there is nothing in nature that is still all of it is vibration this is one of the very interesting philosophical points from antiquity that we don't seem to even stop and think about anymore. But it is deeply profound. So I found this theme of by my experiencing these opposites with the four elements today in a very natural, realistic adventure of an experience. I thought about, hey, Alan Watts in one of his books has a discussion that I've read recently. And so I went and looked through my Alan Watts library and sure enough, I found it. But before I do, I want to share an idea from another book, Spiritual Literacy. This book was given me by my dear friend, a Unitarian minister, Reverend Jackie. And this is by, this is how to read the sacred in everyday life. It, and, and it means it, everyday life. It's a fantastic book. It's fun. It really is. It's adventuresome. Frederick and Mary Ann Broussant with a foreword by Thomas Moore. I want to read one idea on page 45. Things make connections between everyday experiences and the world of deep meaning. They can point beyond themselves to the profound. And this, because of just a bee sting, led me into something spiritually profound this evening as I pondered my, quite frankly, rather miserable experience today. It was not fun. I would not volunteer to do it again tomorrow. But I did gain something from that bad experience that is truly vastly more valuable than if I never would have gotten stung, I would have never wandered in my mind through this labyrinth of grasping the fact that, gosh, I really am embedded in and am a part of and I am using and I am experiencing all of the four elements that the ancients made such a big whoop to do about. It was huge in their philosophy, especially the Hermetic materials. If you've ever read Walter Scott's translation of the Hermetic texts or G.R.S. Mead, I mean, wow, they're fabulous. But they really discuss and emphasize the abundance of each one of the four elements as the four natural elements in creation, how they help create life and how they interweave, intermix their powers and their strengths, their combined properties and their single properties. And it is an aspect of opposites which come together, join into union. And Jung was 
huge on this. The Canunciones uh, text of Jung is it's huge, like 800 pages. Uh, the Mysterious Canunciones is all about this idea of the, the opposites and the joining of opposites and, and how it's necessary to have the opposites. And Joseph Campbell, in his analysis of many of the fantastic mythological stories handed down from antiquity through the ages to us, and which we, of course, promptly ignore like a bunch of idiots, when those stories give us the basis of a real universal spirituality which overlaps our everyday lives. Let me read this selection. It's just a couple of pages. It's in Alan Watts, The Two Hands of God. You can see I've taped the binding, the back, because I've read this so many times, I've broken the book completely apart, and I've had to retape almost every page in it. But I did find the thought that I remember reading, and it is about the primordial pair, P-A-I-R, not P-E-A-R. <laughs> Although it would be interesting, wouldn't it? I wonder when and where the primordial pear, P-E-A-R, the fruit, began. That might be kind of fun to figure out, wouldn't it? Good luck with that. No, this is about the primordial pear duo, P-A-I-R. Well, what exactly is polarity? It is something much more than simply duality or opposition. For to say that opposites are polar is to say much more than that they are far apart. It is to say that they are related and joined. Interesting. That they are the terms, the ends, or extremities of a single whole. W-H-O-L-E. Polar opposites are therefore inseparable opposites, like the poles of the earth or of a magnet, or the ends of a stick, or the faces of a coin. Though what lies between the poles is more substantial than the poles themselves, since they are the abstract terms, rather than the concrete body. Nevertheless, man thinks in terms and therefore divides in thought what is undivided in nature. To think is to categorize. To sort experience into classes and intellectual pigeonholes. It is thus that from the standpoint of thought, the all-important question is ever, is it this or is it that? Is the experience inside this class or is it outside? By answering such questions, we describe and explain our world. We make it explicit. But implicitly, in nature herself, there are no classes. Well, we drop these intellectual nets and boxes upon the world as we weave the imaginary lines of latitude and longitude upon the face of the earth and the likewise imaginary firmament of the stars. 
It is thus the imaginary. It is the abstract and the conceptual character of these divisions which renders them polar. The importance of a box for thought is that the inside is different from its outside. But in nature, the walls of a box are what the inside and the outside have in common. It is thus that when anyone draws attention to the implicit unity of polar opposites, we feel something of a shock. For the foundations of thought are shaken by the suspicion that our experiences and our values, which we had believed to be contrary and distinct, are, after all, aspects of the same thing. The heat and pain from my bee sting and me utilizing the cool of the water to cool it off and take away the pain. That is what brought this to mind. At the dawn of sophisticated thought, in both China and the West, this ever-bewildering unity of opposites was pointed out by two almost mythical sages, Heraclitus. Now, Heraclitus lived in Greece, about 500 B.C., and Lao Tzu, supposedly a contemporary of Confucius, and he lived about 479 B.C. He actually died in 479 B.C., though probably living a century or more later. So in the fragments of Heraclitus, writing that have some down that have come down to us are a set of aphorisms which if the polarity of opposites is overlooked seem to be shocking paradoxes and this is very fun to read time as a child moving counters in a game. The royal power is a child's. Or take this one. War is both father and king of all. Some he has shown forth as gods, and others as men. Some he has made slaves, and others free. Or this one. It should be understood that war is the common condition, that strife is justice, and that all things come to pass through the compulsion of strife. And this one, Homer was wrong in saying, would that strife might perish from amongst gods and men? For if that were to occur, then all things would cease to exist. Hmm. Or this one. Opposition brings concord. Out of discord comes the fairest harmony. I can testify to that based on my beasting experience. The painful heat and then the cooling, soothing water. It took me about a half an hour 
to get rid of it through those opposites of temperature and actually opposites of element. And yet now, tonight, the pain is gone, the wealth is gone. But I can put this into a somewhat sort of a spiritual lesson of just an everyday occurrence that did not happen to be so pleasant. And now I am having a delightful evening sharing with you, my audience, this spiritual insight utilizing one of my very favorite authors, Alan Watts, one of my favorite gurus. In the history and climate of Western thought, Heraclitus stands somewhat alone. For a philosopher in which it is one and the same thing to be living or dead, awake or asleep, young or old, does not seem to offer any directives for action, that is, for making choices. For us, the master philosopher is not Heraclitus, but Aristotle, who insists that all action is choice and that the will never moves into action save to choose some good in preference to some evil, even if the choice be mistaken. By and large, Western culture is a celebration of the illusion that good may exist without evil, light without darkness, and pleasure without pain. And this is true of both its Christian and secular technological phases. Here or hereafter. Our ideal is a world in which there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. So, to give credit where credit is due, it has been a grand illusion. Yet for those whose common sense is still based on the logic of Aristotle, it is difficult to appreciate that the foundations of Chinese culture rest upon the polar view of light and darkness. Compare then with Heraclitus the words of Lao Tzu. When everyone recognizes beauty is beautiful, there is already ugliness. When everyone recognizes goodness as good, there is already evil. To be and not to be arise mutually. Difficult and easy are mutually realized. Long and short are mutually contrasted. High and low are mutually posited. Before and after are in mutual sequence. Fascinating how just a, an incident that I did not want to happen, <laughs> happened. And it was painful. And, and it really did somewhat disrupt my, you know, my work, my routine, my day, my attitude. You know, I was kind of gripey about it. And 
Oh, that stupid bean. Oh, oh, that feels so good to put the hose on it. But I've really got to finish watering the lawn. So I go back to watering the lawn and so on and so forth. And yet out of this, my brain, my mind, my spirit was able to think back on all of the stuff I've read in philosophy and history and physics and all that jazz and recognize that it's not primitive thought that these ancients understood the four elements of creation in their terminology. And the reason they are four elements of the creation and of all things out there is because every element of those four must be had for there to be life. Heat, cool, wet, dry, solid, liquid, gas. It's amazing how the interaction of all of these bring about the entire cosmos. And that's what I ended up thinking about from a ridiculous, silly beasting and about the importance of opposites which produce a reality of our experience that whether it is physical, whether it is intellectual, whether it is spiritual, I have enjoyed this experience experience today. And the only other question I have before I'll close out for tonight is, was it an accident? Or was the universe saying, you know, shirts, I'm going to keep your mind on that which matters most so that you can continue sharing ideas with your audience. <laughs>